We're getting some exercise this morning, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> All right, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Version of the Bible. Let me give you a little history of what's going on here in the text. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Millions of people, can you imagine that task, right? Out of Egypt. They're wandering in the desert of Sinai. Moses is the mediator between God and man. At the time, he's a spokesperson, the representative where the people went to. They're journeying. They're trying to get to the promised land. Chapter 32 Verse 1, the scripture says this, when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. What's going on here in this 13th century BC? What's happening is Moses and Joshua had spent 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. You think it would take a little time to get these Ten Commandments. And the people were becoming impatient waiting for them. So they got another priest, another spiritual leader, Aaron, pulled him in, and this is what they said to him. Come, make, what's the next word? Gods, plural. Circle the S on that if you're taking notes. Come make gods for what? Us, our way. Come make gods for us who will go before us because, uh, look at this pronoun, this. Because this Moses, let's distance ourselves from this Moses. This Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. We don't know what's happened to him. Let's continue on. Let's go to, uh, let's go to verse four, or verse two, excuse me. The scripture says this, Aaron replied to them, take off your gold rings. And they took off their gold from them and fashioned them an engraving tool and made them into an image of a calf. So what the children of Israel are saying here, we're tired of Moses, we're tired of this religion, we want to make ourselves a new religion. We're tired of it. Now you have to understand the word gods is very important. In Egypt there are 42 gods, 42 gods that represented their religions. And when the scripture says here, let's make an image of a calf in verse 4, the word in Hebrew is agel. It's translated a young cow. I want you to remember that. A young cow. Let's make for us an image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Didn't Moses bring them up from the land of Egypt? It's a lie. When Aaron saw this, after he led this revolt, what did he do? Did he cry? Did he say, God, I am so sorry I did this? What did he say? He built an altar to worship this gods in front of it and made an announcement. Hey, early in the morning, get up. We're gonna worship the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yehovah, the existing one. We're gonna worship Yehovah with this calf. It's getting distorted. People are moving away from God. Verse seven, the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people Look at that word, your, not my people. They're your people now. Your people who you brought up from the land of Egypt acted corruptly. Go down at once. Go down at once. Verse, uh, verse uh, 15. Let's go down to verse 15. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed a verse here. Verse five, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of them and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. 
I want you to remember the word festival. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to what? Party. They celebrated. This word party is translated a religious sexual orgy. Very important. Very important. Verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain after God instructed him to go down with the two tablets, the Ten Commandments of the Testimony. The tablets were the work of God. The writings of God were writing engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp, spiritual warfare. But Moses replied, it's not the sound of a victory cry and not the sound of a cry of defeat. I hear the sound of singing. I hear worship music. I hear worship music. As he approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, the dancing, erotic dancing. Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain, symbolic of the broken commandments, specifically the first two commandments, and symbolic of God's broken heart. Israel moving away from God, the divine order being broken, the order being smashed by chaos, It's interesting, in the books of scripture, it tells us that the Israelites rebelled 10 times in the wilderness. 10 commandments, 10 times of rebellion. Let's continue on, verse 20. He took the calf they had made, burned it up, and ground it into powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced the Israelites to drink it. They drank in their own sin and it made them sick. Verse 25, Moses saw the people that they were out of control for Aaron had let them get out of control, making them a laughing stock of their enemies. Why were they a laughing stock for their enemies? Because they were acting just like the rest of the world. They weren't acting like a separate chosen people of God. And Moses stood at the camp's entrance and he said, whoever's for the Lord, come to me. Remember that phrase? Not all of them came to him. The Levites slaughtered 30, or excuse me, 3,000 Israelites because of their sin. God takes sin seriously. And sin always brings death, my friends. Sin brings physical death, relational death, financial death, spiritual death. And false teachers still abound. False teachers will lead people to embrace other gods and to progressive theology and heresy. Like one of the spiritual leaders here in the story. Let's carry on over to chapter 33, verse 7. Let's carry on with the story. Now Moses took a tent and pitched it outside the camp at a distance from the camp and he called it the tent of meeting. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of the meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went outside to the tent, all the people would stand up. They would stand up in honor of the God of Israel. We see God and his people moving. We see his people moving back towards him. Verse Um, Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks with a friend. Remember that. Moses is getting close to God. He's pulling his people close to God. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let them know whom will send with me. You said, I know you by name and you have also found favor with me. Now, if I have indeed found favor with you, please, the first mention, the Hebrew there is nah. Everybody say nah. 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 Please teach me your ways, and I will know you. Personal, intimacy, friend. 
so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is what people? Your people, not just my people, but your people. Remember, you love them. They're chosen. Verse 14, and God replied to Moses, powerful verse, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Verse 18, then Moses said, so what what do you say to that? Listen to what Moses said. Nah, please let me see your glory, your kabod. Nah, kabod, God. Nah, kabod. Nah means this. It means to plead, to beg. Kabod means this, honor and fame. I'm pleading for your honor. I'm pleading for your fame. That's what he asked of God. Remember the story. We're going to go back to the story throughout my message here. Go to your Westwood app with a fill in the blanks. Take out a piece of paper. Write some notes. Keep your Bible open. How does spiritual revival happen? Number one, people move away from God. People move away from God. It starts there, and there are three steps as people move away from God. The first is this. People become impatient. People become impatient. I I love this story. Tom Hanks was with a group of comedians and actors, and he was reflecting on his career, and he was stating what I wished I would have known, lessons I learned. And he was looking around the table of these comedians. He said this. He said, uh, you feel angry? This too shall pass. You feel great and famous? This too shall pass. You feel like you've arrived? This too will pass. He said, time is your ally. Just wait. God followers, Jesus followers, you feel like God's left you? This too shall pass. You feel like you're on a spiritual high? This too will pass. You feel like God's forgotten you and doesn't hear your prayers? This too will pass. Time is your ally. Just wait. The Israelites were impatient with God and Moses. Waiting is so very important. Many times when we wait, there are things that God wants us to experience and to learn. There's a purpose in our waiting. God does hear your prayers and he loves you. Why does he make us wait? Maybe to grow us. Maybe there's some things that he needs to teach us in the process. Maybe it's to teach us some lessons. Or maybe it's to rest. I work in a hospital. I see people sick all the time in the beds and they say, why am I here? How could God do this to me? And I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is sometimes God puts a pause in our life to shut the busyness down and to make us reflect and think about what's, what's going on with our brief life. Maybe we're not ready for what God wants to show us yet. Or maybe we can't even handle it yet. Or others can't. Remember, God sees from eternity. We see from time. We have a limited perspective. When we're impatient, we move away from God. We jump. We we become impulsive. We react. We send that text, and we knew we shouldn't have sent the text message. We called them, because if we just said the right words, then it would happen, right? We knew we shouldn't have called the person, right? And this is what it does. It hurts us, and it hurts those around us when we're impatient with God. So how are you being impatient with God? Come on, be honest. Come on, come on. Number two, the next step. People conform to the world. I mentioned 42 gods uh, that were in Egypt at the time of Moses' life. One of the gods' name, her name was Hathor. And we have a picture of her here, a stone statue, a made-up god that they had, small g god. 
She was known as the mistress of heaven. I want you to listen. Remember the story we read. She was the goddess of love, of music, of dance, of wine, and sex. They had festivals and parades to celebrate her. She appeared as a woman with cow ears and horns, a gal horns and ears. There are different sexual expressions to celebrate and public orgies. She had the, the ability to manipulate anybody to do her bidding. Her eyes would glow gold. The other side of her, she focused on destroying humanity. Our world today is filled with singing and dancing and festivals and parades and TV award shows and movies and parties. And there's a spiritual war that's going on. There's chaos in our world. There's great confusion in our world. There's even shootings in schools killing children. One of the ladies that was killed was my daughter's sorority sister's mom. Dead. Hathor still celebrated today. But you know what breaks my heart? You know what breaks God's heart? So many Christians live just like the world. No different from the world. They celebrate what the world celebrates. They just don't want to say anything. They're conformed to the world. What does it look like to conform? They talk like the world. They act like the world. They think like the world. They celebrate just like the world. They focus on the world. They love the world. They want more of the world. That's what it means to conform. What's the difference between our world and our faith as a Christian, as a Jesus follower? Our world says pride. Our faith says humility. Our world says self-gratification, now, me, whatever I want. The world says self-denial. Our world says man can become God. Make up your own religion. It's a maj posh of creating whatever you want. Call it whatever you want. Our faith says God became a man. Romans 12, one through two says this. We'll open up your Bibles to that. Romans 12, one through two says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, I urge you, Paul says, I urge you, and Paul lived in a decadent world himself, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship, to, to give ourselves to God every day as a living sacrifice to God, not Hathor or any other God. And it says, don't be conformed to this age. The word conformed translated as this, having the same shape. Don't have the same shape as the world. Don't be similar to the world or this age, this generation. Are you conforming more to the world or to God? Young person, teenager, I know your school is filled with it. I know it's going to look weird. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult. But do you want to be conformed to God more than the world? Do you want to stand out more? Many opportunities for you to be conformed to the world. And you're going to be alone probably sometimes. Single person, married person. Three, third step away from God is people misplace their identity. People misplace their identity and they, the movement continues. Israelites, they were the chosen people of God. They're identified with God. And, and God said to Moses, they're your people. That's what happens. Sin separates from us from God, the fellowship and the relationship with God. Rebellion leads to misplaced identity. Write that down. Rebellion leads to misplaced identity. Our world is filled with lives out of control. They're confused with our identity. We're attaching our identity to all kinds of things outside of God. Many times based on our urges and our feelings that come and go and change, right? 
Yet the deepest identity we have is found in God that's created in his image. Amen. Come on now. Getting a little excited up here. John 15, 14 says this. John 15, 14 says this. Man, this is good news. Remember, the Bible said that Moses talked to God like a friend. Do you talk to God like a friend? I mean, like he's right with you. He's right there. Jesus gathered his 12. God becoming man, he walked with them. They touched him. They heard his voice. They hugged him. They laughed at his jokes. They jumped in the water with him. Jesus says this to his friends, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Hathor is gonna try to command you all kind of different ways. Jesus says, look, if you belong to me, you're gonna wanna do these commandments. Not because you have to, because you want to. You wanna follow me. You love me. You're my friend. Third step is we misplace our identity and the move continues. So how does spiritual revival happen? People move towards God. Moving away, now we move towards God. And it's a journey from the time you start with God. And as you journey through the years, you're gonna move away and towards him. Number one, the first step that you take is people look for God. People look for God. The Israelites later began looking for God. They stood when Moses was going into the tent. Do you remember that? Standing in honor, clapping maybe even. The special guest is here. Unbelievable. So here's a question. Are you looking for God? Come on, be honest. Are you looking for God? Are you looking for all kinds of things in this world? And God's maybe on the back burner. Easter's coming up. It's a good time to look for God, right? It's a good time. So you can see God in yourself, in his creation, in others, in the events, in the scripture. It's right here. He is the word. Do you want to see God? It's a scary question because sometimes for many years as a Christian, as a young Christian, I thought God's going to mess up my life. I'll never get married. I'll live somewhere in Africa and I will be miserable the rest of my life, right? Instead of saying, God is saying, I love you so much. I have amazing plans for you. You can't even imagine. If you just give your life to me and you follow me, you're not going to believe what's going to happen with you. You have all these nice little plans in your life, but if you give me your life, I'm going to do something amazing in your life. If you just look for me. So what happens when we look for God? Revival. Revival happens. Movement, spiritual movement happens in your life and in my life. 1866. 1866 was a year Robert Germain Thomas was the man. He was from, he was a Welsh descent. He was a missionary to China, translated the Bible in Chinese. He also had a heart for Korea, a very dark spiritual place. If there's any mention of God or the Christian faith, people would be killed. He decided to take his Chinese scripture in 1866 to Korea. He had a boat full of Bibles and tracts. He's trying to bring the books to shore. And he was charging the shore with a New Testament in his hand. A man beheaded him and killed him. New Testament fell in the water. That man picked up that New Testament. Looked like Christianity was gone. It was dead. Where's the movement? Where's God? Why would God such, allow such a thing? This man gave his life for it. What now, God? That man took that New Testament, brought it to his house, and pasted the pages all over his house and read them. And people would come to his house and read them. 1866, and the years went on and on and on and on. And then in 1907, as people were looking for God, 
30, excuse me, yeah, 30,000 Christian conversions happened in the year 1907 in Korea because this one man, Robert Jermaine Thomas, goes, here's the good news. You're dying. God loves you. And people were looking. Who is he? What is he, what is he promoting? And generations later, you see what God's doing in South Korea alone. People look for God as the first step when you're moving back towards revival. Are you looking for God? Are you? He's just waiting for you. He loves you. He has so much for you. Second step is this. People ask for God's glory. People ask for God's glory. People ask God for a lot of things, don't they? Oh, God, bless me. Give me wealth. Give me health. Give me this job. Make this work out. And those are fine prayers, I guess. But what if you ask for God's glory? I mean, I mean what if you said, nah, kabat, whatever it means. Nah, kabat, your glory, not my glory. See, God's glory is different from our glory. It's not manipulated. Let me say that again. It's not manipulated. Sometimes we want to create revival. Hey, look, if we just do these things, then we'll have revival. Billy Graham had that Just As I Am song, and everybody came down. So churches, for years, if we just play the song Just As I Am, revival's going to break out. Or, hey, listen, if we have Tim Tebow in our church, or Dabo Sweeney in our church, revival's going to break out, right? If we just do that. Hey, you know what? If we have Brother Bob come on October 22nd for the revival, we're going to call it a revival too. Brother Bob's coming and Brother Bob will bring revival. You're saying, David, that's kind of rude. Well, I'm not saying God can't use a song. He does. These songs are great. And Just As I Am is a great song. And I'm sure Tim Tebow and others are great, right? And I'm sure Brother Bob had something good to say too. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. God's glory is greater, and it starts with him. And when he moves, we are responding to his movement greater than what we can manipulate and put together. For many years as a youth pastor, as an associate pastor, as a church planner, as a lead pastor, guilty as charged, I try to manipulate all different ways. Just being honest with you. Instead of waiting on God's movement, we need to ask for God's kabod. It's different and he is greater, and he moves when he chooses. What does it mean to ask? What does it mean to ask? It means this, that we want God's glory more than our glory. You ever ask for that? You ever ask that for your marriage right now? Or for your children? Or for your workplace? Or for your school? How about not kabod for your high school and your middle school? You write that on your hand when you go to school. You put that on your phone. Nakabod today, God, me and you, Nakabod. My school, my workplace, my marriage, my children, drop them off in school. Nakabod, Nakabod, your glory. May, their, may your glory be on them as they walk in there. Come on. God wants that. God desires that. His glory to fill this world. I was sharing in the first service, I was playing this, this uh, sermon, and sometimes as pastors, we're, we're our, our desire is to encourage you and think of you as you sit in those seats back there in the far, back there in the close. And I'm like, who are they? Who am I talking to? What are they going through? And how can I connect with them? What's going on with them? And then God said, David, what about you? 
What about me? Uh, what about my glory in your life? What do you mean? And I had a thought in my head. I didn't hear a voice. When was the last time you led someone to Christ, David? I started to weep. It's been a while. I miss it. Hey, David, when, uh, when was the last time you baptized somebody? You got me there again. <laughs> it's been a while. How's your marriage doing, David? How about that little area in your little marriage that you need to think about? Got me there again. Nakabad. I'm living it with you. You're not alone. I'm asking for God's glory. Psalm 19. Did you know the creation is calling out for God's glory? Do you know that? Psalm 19, listen to this. From the choir director, a Psalm of David. I love it. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Proclaim. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they communicate, talk, knowledge. There is no speech. The, the creation is asking, begging for God's glory all around us. There's no speech to be heard, no words, no voice. We mentioned the Ten Commandments earlier. Did you know that there, there are the ten utterances of God's creation? And did you know there are ten wanderings in the wilderness from the children of Israel? Ten, ten, ten. And all along, God is saying, I want my glory to infiltrate this world. Louis Giglio um, Great man, he's done so many amazing things with young adults and college students over the years. I used to serve with him at a church in Atlanta. He said this, God's glory matters more than anything. If people don't know how great he is, how will they not choose something of lesser value? Like a calf, like a cow. How will they know he's better than everything else if they don't see him on display in someone like you? You are displaying God's glory. You can display God's glory. Final step, and we're done. As we move towards spiritual revival, the third step is this. People live for God's presence. People live for God's presence. What do you live for? What gets you excited? What do you wake up for in the morning? What, what, what are your, what, how do you set your goals one, five, 20, 30 years from now? How will people remember you, Right? How about living for God's glory, whatever that means? In Genesis 11, listen to this. Genesis 11. Anybody excited to hear about it? Come on, anybody excited about God's glory in this place? Anybody? Genesis 11. Here we go. Genesis 11. Tower of Babel. These guys were getting a little too big for the britches. They want to become God. They were going to build a tower for themselves to make a name for themselves. Listen to this. Verse 4. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Us, me, 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 me. God's glory isn't about you or me at all. We're way in the background. Not only do we get behind the cross, like you can't even see us. We're like back behind the curtain over there somewhere. Us, ourselves, the focus is not on our presence, but God's presence. The, the word tower, you may want to write this in your notes. The word tower is megdal in the Hebrew. And listen to this. It, it's translated an elevated stage, a pulpit, an altar. 
Let us build an altar to ourselves so we can worship ourselves in our glory. And what did God do? God came down. I love this verse. It said, verse five, then the Lord came down. <laughs> Whoa, wouldn't want to be there for that one. Came down. We have a choice. We can make a name for ourselves or for God. See, with, with, with God uh, and with Moses and the children of Israel, God said to Moses, my presence will go with you. And it was great. There was a tent. The people could go there and they could stand and, and there was the mountain where Moses went, right? But do you know as a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you're a Christian watching online or here in this room. Let, just, let me say that again to you. Let me say it again. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. He lives in you, like in you. Will you let him live through you? I don't do that all the time. I sometimes turn in my flesh and my own resources and I squash it. What would it look like to live for God's presence, let the spirit of God live through us. You can move into a greater presence. It's, aver- it's available to us at all times. Not, not just up in the mountain, not just in the tent. That's an amazing thought. So what does this look like to live for God's presence? It means this, to live obnoxiously different from the world. Come on. When was the last time someone came up to you and said, you mean you really believe that? You mean you really think that? I, I mean... That's kind of archaic, isn't it? No, it's not. Living counterculturally, right? It's living for God and not ourselves. Write this down. Revival is found in God's presence. Come on now. Revival is found in God's presence. In 1700s in the British Isles, the churches were empty. People were living in chaos. And then all of a sudden, gospel-centered preaching hit the streets and revival hit that world. It began to spread the American colonies. And a great awakening happened when John Wesley and George Whitfield with open air preaching. And they were making a name for the Lord, for God. Why not here? Why not now? Right? 2023, here, now. So what are the results of us living for God's presence? Here are some things I wrote down. People are moved towards God. People give their life to Jesus. They're baptized. Sleepy Christians are awakened. Anybody sleepy out there? Wake up! (laughs) Sleepy Christians awakened. Unity in the church, the capital C church. Peace from chaos. People living for God in his lordship, in his presence. Radical repentance. Radical repentance. That's what it looks like. All right, the big idea of the morning. The one thought, if you were to leave here and people say, so what did David speak on this morning? Here's the one thing you can tell. Spiritual revival happens when people move responding to God's movement. Let's read that together. Ready? Spiritual revival happens when people move responding to God's movement. Hey, hey look, Dabo would be fine to have him here, right? It'd be fine. Moses, he'd be pretty neat too, actually, to have him here. But the living God, can you believe it? He's here. He's with us. He has a greater glory. And did you know that we all believe in a God? Whether we make up our own calf God, put ears on it and horns on it, call it whatever we want, or we believe in the one true God. I know this message is strong, and I know there's not a lot of funny stories I'm telling this morning, but this is so in my heart. I know God's speaking to many of you right now. Because he's been working on me for more than a week or so, and I'm a wreck right now. 
So who's your God? You may not be a Christian and you've misplaced your identity in something that is just fleeting and, and silly and empty and temporal. There's a God who loves you and he wants to know you and be your friend. Can you imagine? It's not about religion and going to church a lot. It's about knowing Jesus. You can know him. The gospel is Jesus is the greater Moses, the greater mediator and the greater friend. He calls us to move towards God. First Timothy 2.5 says this, there is one mediator, only one between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the incarnate man God. The gospel is this exchanging our glory for God's glory to bring order to our chaotic world. How about that definition of the gospel? Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have, me and you, all of us. It's a journey through this life. The gospel is this, repent, believe, and follow. Repent, believe, and follow a new glory, a new presence greater than us. Maybe as a Christian, uh, you're in the room or watching online, and you've moved away from God. Will you be honest about it? Maybe you need to tell someone about that or just get alone, spend some time with him. Maybe you've been embracing Hathor and there's a sexual sin in your life and nobody knows about it. Maybe it's time to say, God, I'm tired of this. It makes me feel bad every single time. It doesn't give me life. Maybe sin doesn't break your heart and you see your friends and family. And I have family members who've moved away from God. And they prayed that prayer long ago, but there's no difference in their life from the world. It breaks my heart. Does it break your heart when your family and your friends are living that way? It breaks my heart. How about a dear friend, maybe in this room somewhere, you love them so much. You just need to have a talk with them. Man, I love you. We can be better together. Come on, let's go. Maybe it's in your small group or your home group. And you shut down the normalcy of what you do in a group and you say, let's be gut level honest with each other, huh? Let's get in twos and let's do some confession. I want nah, kabod more than anything. Maybe you've been impatient with God. Just tell him, he already knows. And maybe you're not looking for God. I'm gonna echo Moses' words. I'm getting ready to land the plane here. Whoever is for the Lord, Whoever, come. He loves you. He's waiting for you. He wants to be your most intimate friend you'll ever have. 